Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Just a couple of other uh, notes. I believe we're going to have some invitation cards that match the billboard that you just saw that you, you'll we'll have available to you in the next couple of weeks so that you can be uh, handing those out to, to folks that you, that you know. And also, just to, to mention, as many of you would know, uh, the pastors here love to hang around and talk and fellowship and encourage and be encouraged and uh, pray with you following worship. Uh, Leo and Alex and I just enjoy doing that. Uh, I will not be able to do that today as Galen and I are heading out of town on vacation for the next uh, two weeks. Uh, so if you don't see us in the back, it's because we've taken off and uh, head, headed to the car uh, for a trip down to South Carolina and then up to New Hampshire. So it's going to be a lot of driving. Pray for us, if you would, please. Let me pray now. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. It is a light to our feet. It is a light to our path. It is that word that gives life to us. It is that word that informs us and instructs us and empowers us to live life as you want it lived here on this planet. So, Lord, give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Long, long ago, the man Abraham was <coughs> asked, in fact, he was commanded to do a kind of fast, a fast of an unusual kind, unusual form. The fast, if you will, was to give up his son, to sacrifice his son. You'll remember the story in Genesis 22, where God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me, a fast giving up his son, not just for Lent, not just for a day, but for life. Makes you wonder, why did God ask him that? What was God trying to see and prove? It sounds cruel. It sounds like an unusual and even mean test that God was putting Abraham through. Didn't God already know how much Abraham loved him? Was this something to prove something to God, or was it more a matter of God wanting Abraham to learn through a test of self-denial how much he was to love God. 
and how much he was to put God first in everything. Is it possible that God was asking Abraham to do something that forced that ancient man of God to wrestle with the question, who do I love the most? Do I love God more than anything? Will I honor God more than anything? Will I choose God even over my son? Will I forsake even a legitimate human joy for the sake of a higher joy? The joy of knowing and obeying God. Is my supreme joy in my child or in the living God who made my child and gave him to me? Will I trust that God, thank you, that God will protect my son even though I give him up? You will remember in Hebrews chapter 11 that we read that Abraham by faith offered up Isaac because he believed that God would raise him from the dead. This was a test. Would Abraham's faith hold up under fire? Would he believe in the promises of God even as he sought to obey the commandment of God? This, this call to a kind of sun fast was really a heart check for Abraham. Now, I want to assure you, moms and dads, God is never, ever, ever going to ask you to sacrifice your son or daughter on an altar. Although, let me say this, that the chances are pretty good that there will be times in your life will God, when God will put you through experiences with your children that will test your love for Him, such as Galene and I having a son with cancer. Will we love God supremely even when He allows our boy nearly to die? Or when... A child of ours wanders into a faraway country spiritually and wanders far away from God. Will we still hold on to God even when our children are not holding on to God? Or when there are those times, moms and dads, aren't there, where we have to do what is right and expect what is right even though our children don't want it. And we have a decision to make. Will we love our God more than we love our children? Will we love our children by loving our God first? There will will be tests like that, but I assure you, it won't be Abraham's test. That was a a once-for-all circumstance. And and the reality is, if you know the story, that God, by His grace, really used that moment as a gospel moment, a, a good news moment, because right at the last minute, just as Abraham was getting ready to offer his son, God said, stop, Abraham. I have provided a lamb for you. I have provided a sacrifice for you. This was a picture of what Christ, uh, God would do in his son, Jesus. God the Father did not spare his son, but offered him up for us all. God did not expect Abraham to follow through on that. God intervened, but it was still a test. 
It was still a test. I'd like to suggest to you today that fasting is a much easier test than Abraham had, but is in fact in some ways a test for us. Now, if you're new to us, you might be thinking, why in the world would any pastor in the 21st century pick this text and this topic of fasting? Because in the 21st century, we like to think that we are beyond the old, the archaic, the, the relics of the past. We, fasting sounds to us like a part of a, of a monastery life. It sounds to us like something that monks used to do with their robes and their relics. We, we're into smartphones and we're into to being hip and celebrity preachers and electronic sounds and uh, 10,000 how-to blogs and books and think tanks and task uh, forces and you know we're just into action we're into doing we're into we're into technology and and here we are preaching about fasting a voluntary abstinence from food and other good things for the sake of prayer for the sake of reflection to seek earnestly the face and the grace of God. Doesn't this topic sound a little bit like, you know, you're rummaging through the attic. And as you're rummaging through the attic, you reach into a box and you, and you pull out this old little you know, rectangular shaped thing and you look at it, it's got some buttons. Oh, it's a cassette player. And you, you realize that you would just step back in history. Step back in time, or it's an old flip phone, or, or even more, it's an old rotary dial phone. I'm at, I'm at the age now where uh, on Facebook, one of the things that disturbs me the most is when you see these posts, and they, they have this picture of an of a old rotary phone or something, and can you, re, you know, click like if you can remember this? You know what I'm talking about, Right? And virtually every single time I can remember it. And it just hits me that most of my friends can't. But I'm that age now. And, and, and when you talk about fasting, it's like you've, you've gone into the church attic and you've pulled out of the box this old relic of a thing and said, oh, that must have been useful sometime in the past. But I doubt it's useful today. But the reality is that the call to fasting is a call that still has relevance, still has importance, still has value for today. I was struck this week uh, with my own lack of sensitivity and awareness. Uh, hit me a, a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to meet with the mayor and police chief and numerous other uh, community leaders to talk about uh, the upswing of violence in town and, and how to improve communication and trust between the police and our community. And we sat and we talked for a couple of hours exchanging lots of good ideas, but it didn't occur to me until this week that not a single person present there, including me, 
suggested that perhaps what we ought to do is fast and pray. That's what they would have done in the olden days. That's what they did in the olden days of Israel when they were in trouble, fast and pray. That's, that's what they did in Nineveh when, when Jonah came in with the message of repentance. The leaders of Nineveh said to the whole city, we need to fast and we need to pray. That's what they did in Daniel's day when Israel was being punished for her sins. We need to fast. You know, that's what they used to do in this country. Just reading this week various proclamations by a number of different presidents calling the nation in the face of war, in the face of slavery, in the face of disease, in the face of national calamity, calling the nation to, quote, confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness from God. Those were the days, huh? Oh, that God would restore those days. Oh, that we would be a people who realize that fasting matters. But does it? I'm going to be real honest here as I go forward here. Does it really make a difference? You ever ask that question? You ever ask that question about prayer? Does it really work? Does it really make a difference? I'm asking those questions in order to be real and authentic with you this afternoon uh, because I ask those questions. I still ask those questions. I often ask those questions. You see, I've got enough stuff in my life between literal headaches and even more painful heartaches that refuse to go away. No matter how much I've prayed, no matter how much I've fasted, no matter how much I press repeat and do it all over again, the headaches and the heartaches continue. Sometimes, again being honest with you, sometimes it feels when it comes to the call to pray and the call to fast, it it feels as if God keeps moving the goalpost on me. You know, God says, okay, um, believe in me. And so, okay, I pray, I believe. And then God says, okay, I want you to worship and sing. So I worship and sing. And God says, I want you to love your neighbor. Tell them about Jesus. So I love my neighbor and I tell them about Jesus. And God says, now you're supposed to pray. So I, so I pray. And, and now I learned that on top of all of that, I have to fast. Like I get 99 yards on the field and suddenly they extend the field to 150. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? Folks, please understand God is not moving the goalposts. But what God is doing is inviting us into something sweeter, even better, even deeper. It's like God is inviting us to an additional course in the feast of the Christian life. I love eating in Italian homes because they keep bringing the courses. And each succeeding course is better than the preceding course. Spiritually speaking, God gives us many different courses and it's all part of the feast. And one of of those 
one of those stages in the feast is actually to fast. To enter into a season of prayer before God in which we say no to some kind of physical pleasure or delight so that we can focus on prayer. This is what this text teaches us. The one that was just read a few minutes ago. There is, this is not some additional task to be added to our checklist of religious obligations. This is an additional gift given to us that promises us reward. Look at verses 17 and 18 again of Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. He will reward you when you fast in the right way. Folks, if you ask me, Tim... If I fast and pray, will I get what I pray for? I have to be honest to tell you, I don't know. Because God has plans and purposes that He has included me into. But if you ask me this, if I fast and pray with a pure heart, with sincere love, will God give me a reward for it? I say yes. God promises His rewards, His rewards in this life and especially in the life to come. So when we we come to the question of fasting, it isn't really a question of does fasting work? The question is, does my faith work? Am Am I willing to believe that if I voluntarily give something up, give up a meal, give up television, give up something for a season of time in order that I might focus on prayer and focus on my God. Do I believe that God will reward that? God will bless that? If in no other way, on the day to come, He will say, Tim, I saw you on your knees. Tim, I saw you forsake food that day because your heart was panting after me. I saw you pleading. I heard you pleading. I saw you fasting. Tim, brother, sister, you sitting there, you who have fasted and prayed, know this for sure. If you have done it with a sincere heart, God will reward you for it. God will bless you for it. And so the question for us is not, does fasting work? But do I believe in the promises of God to us. If you need any other, I don't know why we would need any other motivation than that. God has promised to reward those who fast with a pure heart. I guess that pure heart part of it is important. And in fact, that's the primary point of Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. You'll remember that from a message perhaps three or four weeks ago when I preached on the early verses of this chapter where Jesus talks about giving to the needy and when he he talks about praying and then he talks about fasting and he says, when you do this, don't do these things 
to be seen by others. Don't do these things to gain the approval of others. Don't do these things to impress others. Do these things for the eye of God alone, for the audience of one. Do them for God's glory and God's pleasure alone. And when we do it for God alone, when we do it not to impress others, but to delight Him, then God says, my blessing and my reward are upon it. And so, with that in mind, let me, let me help us think again and afresh on this matter of fasting over these next few minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, there are different ways to define fasting, but let me, let me give you mine here. I think that fasting is a voluntary choosing of physical hunger. It's a voluntary choosing of physical hunger to express and to enhance a deeper hunger, either to see the face or to receive the favor of God. Fasting is a voluntary choosing of physical hunger to express and to enhance a deeper hunger, either to see the face or to receive the favor of God. And that physical hunger does not mean just for food. It can mean a hunger for entertainment, a hunger for even marriage itself, or a hunger for sexual intimacy in marriage. The Bible actually describes different fastings where people gave up those things for the sake of God and His kingdom. But the point is, is that there's a voluntary choosing of physical hunger in one form or another in order to express and to enhance a deeper hunger to see the face or receive the favor of God. It's, it's saying no to a good thing so that we might express and fuel our longing for an even better thing. It is a kind of living, acted out symbol, a physical way of expressing the hunger of our hearts. If you've ever thought about the matter of posture and physical expression in worship. Uh, I wish our pews were about a foot and a half further apart so we could do more kneeling and we could, we could do more dancing and we could do more jumping up and down and, uh, because these things are important. And, and, and the question is, for example, why should we kneel why should we kneel? Can I suggest two reasons? One, because we are reverent. And two, because we aren't reverent. We should kneel to express the reverence and the worship that's already in our hearts. We should kneel before God because our physical posture expresses our, the posture of our hearts, of our spirits. We know He is the great and the living God. We know He is the all-glorious one. We, we know He is our Father who is in heaven. And when you consider the one who is in heaven, you kneel. We kneel because we are reverent, but we should also kneel when we aren't reverent. 
Because when we're not reverent, getting on our knees has a way of changing the heart. Getting on our knees reminds us of the posture that we ought to have before God. I believe God gives different postures and expressions in worship. I I think fasting is one of those. In fasting, we are expressing a hunger. Not for physical food, but for something deeper and sweeter and better. We're expressing a hunger for it. And we're also saying through fasting that we recognize that we're not hungry enough for it. And fasting expresses our hunger and it enhances our hunger for the things that matter most. So as we think about this, we we begin to wonder, okay, what, what are those things that matter most? What are those things that perhaps ought to stir us to fast? And can I suggest that a real helpful guide for it is in the verses just preceding our text, the verses that Alex has preached over the last couple of weeks, the Lord's Prayer. Can I suggest that one way of looking at the question When might it be good to fast is when our longing for these particular requests in the the Lord's Prayer, our longing for these things grows acute and we feel it in a special and a powerful way. So, for example, if we are called to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then there are times in our lives as we watch our own heart, as we watch our neighbors, as we watch our world, where we realize how few there are that are hallowing His name. How few there are that are reverencing God and our hearts begin to ache and our hearts begin to hunger. Oh Lord, oh that Your name would be reverenced on this in this world. Oh, that it would be hallowed. And the hunger for it and the longing for it is so deep and so strong that you say, I want this more than food. So for a day or two or a meal or two or a week or two, depending on your capacity and your ability, you say, I'm I'm going to go without physical food because I'm hungering for this ultimate feast that the name of God would be hallowed. Or we're told to pray, Thy kingdom come. And Perhaps as we're called to pray, Thy kingdom come, fasting might be a good option whenever our hearts are feeling a pronounced longing for the advancement and the progress of the kingdom of God. We look around us and we see that there are still thousands of people groups in this world that have never even heard of Jesus. And we realize that the kingdom of God still needs to advance till the day comes when every tribe and every tongue and every nation believes. We we long to see it. Oh Lord, may your kingdom come. And the longing is so deep and it's so strong that that it's not enough just to mouth the words. We want to fast. We want to get down on our faces. And we want to express physically what's in our hearts spiritually, a longing for the kingdom. Or it might even be even better. 
the longing for the coming of the King Himself. How many days are there where we say, oh, Jesus, come. Jesus, can this not be the day? Please, Lord, let this be the day. Break open the skies, part the clouds. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And if there are times when the longing to see the face of the King is so great in your heart that you say, I want this more than food. I want this more than dinner. I want this more than lunch. I want to see Jesus. Maybe we're, we are called to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Fasting might be a good option for us whenever our hearts feel a pronounced grief that His will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. Whenever we feel deeply that His holy will is not obeyed, whenever social injustice is done rather than justice, whenever evil is done rather than good, whenever human hellish will is done rather than God's, whenever divorce happens or abortion happens or hatred happens or prejudice happens or greed happens or envy happens, whenever these things happen and we long that God's will be done in place of these things, it is certainly a time not to scream at all the bad people out there but rather to get down on our faces before Him and cry out to God for Him to come and make His will done here on earth. If we are called to pray, give us this day our daily bread, which is an encouragement to pray for all of our physical needs, for for daily food, for physical healing, for deliverance from physical danger, for provision of any and every material physical need that we might have whenever we feel ourselves and find ourselves in pronounced need and health issues for ourselves or others, it is certainly fitting that we fast and pray. And if we're called to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, then fasting might be a good option. Whenever our hearts feel or need to feel more a pronounced mournful repentance over our own personal sin or over the sins of our nation, sins of our congregation, the sins of our fathers and our mothers, whenever a longing for forgiveness fills our hearts. Forgiveness for us. Forgiveness for our neighbors. Forgiveness for our nation. It's in those times, biblically, that most fasts happened. It was when the nation became aware of its sin that they fell on their faces before God, crying out for His mercy. If we're called to pray, lead us not into temptation then fasting might be a good option whenever our hearts are feeling really strong temptation. And if we're called to pray, deliver us from the evil one, then fasting might well be a good option whenever our hearts feel a very acute awareness of the presence of the evil one and evil influence in our lives. This is why Christians fast. To express how much we hunger, how much we long, how much we yearn 
for what we have not yet experienced in Christ. We fast in order to lament and in order to hope. We fast because we hunger for the name of God to be honored everywhere. We fast because we hunger for the kingdom to come and to advance and cover the earth. We fast because we hunger for the king to come and to take us to be with himself forever. We fast because we hunger for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hunger for justice to be done, for the hungry to be fed, the oppressed to be released, the poor to be lifted up, the naked to be clothed, the unborn to see the light of day. We fast so that because we hunger for the refugee to find a home, for the oppressed, the racially profiled and oppressed to be treated equally, for the abused to find healing, for the trafficked and the enslaved to be released. We fast because we long for God's will to be done. We fast because we hunger for daily bread. We hunger for forgiveness. We hunger for deliverance from temptation. We hunger to be delivered from the evil one. We hunger for these things. Throughout Scripture, this is what God's people did whenever the burdens of their hearts grew heavy, whenever the guilt in their conscience grew heavy and acute. This is what God's people did when nations were in open defiance of God when nations refused the will of God. And God called them to repentance, warning them of his judgment. They fasted and they prayed. I said over and over again, we fast because, we fast because, we fast because. But in all honesty, I have to look in the mirror and say, how often, Tim, do you really fast? Um, I believe God is calling us individually and collectively as a church to recover and to revive this ancient practice in order to express and enhance a hunger for the face of and the favor of God more than we hunger for food itself. This is not something we enforce legalistically. It is not something we mandate from our positions of pastoral authority. It's not something we say to you, if you don't do this, there's something wrong with your soul. This is between you and God. This is between you and your maker. This is between you and your heavenly father. But we invite and encourage and plead that we all might pursue so that Jesus' words, when you fast, can be true of us. Not if you fast, but when you do. When you fast. When you fast. May it be that there will be more whens in our life. As, as pastors... We are, we are aware that fasting has, has not been a consistent enough part of our life as a church. And so as we have thought ahead into the coming year, we have decided to schedule into our life as a church at least two 
significant periods, three-day periods of fasting and prayer. And we are inviting all of you to participate at whatever level you can, whatever level you are able. And our next fast is going to be in September, September 19th through 21. And we are, we are calling, in the, in the language of Scripture, we are calling for a solemn assembly and fast. We, we are calling for God's people to come together in repentance from sin and in tears over suffering. The particular suffering that we believe the Lord would have us focus on in this next fast is the suffering of ongoing racial oppression and injustice and tension and hatred. Today, there are demonstrations of hate groups going on in our country. Today, this day, right now, and every time this happens, brothers and sisters of ours, right here in this congregation, weep and they fear. Because the hatred still exists. The injustices still exist. We, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are afraid to walk outside at night in the whiter sections of town lest suspicious neighbors, suspicious simply because of the color of their skin, call the police. And this is not an exaggeration. We have a couple in our church for whom this happened just a month ago. We have brothers and sisters who live in daily fear and fears and tears over the future of their sons, who despair of ever seeing the day when they will no longer be prejudged by the color of their skin. We have brothers and sisters who are weary, who are so very weary of being on the wrong end, the very short end of injustice and Hatred. We have brothers and sisters who, who don't have equal access to good legal representation or good education or meaningful opportunities. We have brothers and sisters who've lived their lives in the long, dark shadow of 400 years of ill will and ill treatment. We have brothers and sisters had conversations with men and women right here in this congregation who have been called inferior for so long, treated as inferior for so long, believed to be inferior for so long that the scars and the wounds run so deep. It's hard to know that they can ever heal fully. We have brothers and sisters who are dreaming big and making the right decisions and working hard, but every step of the way is against disadvantage and pushback from a culture and from a world that systemically opposes them. And friends, these are our family. These are our brothers and sisters. And it should grieve us so that we long for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, Every tribe and tongue and language and color and shade of human beings is treated with equal dignity and equal love and equal honor and equal glory and equal joy. Oh God, may it happen here. And may we as a church 
May we commit to fasting and praying and hungering for this even more than we hunger for food. Longing for this more than we long for anything else. Well, I've already confessed my failure to do this, to do this well, to do this consistently, to do this with a full, sincere heart. And it makes me think about Jesus, who was the perfect faster. In Matthew 4, right? Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting day and night, going without food. And you look and say, wow, that's how it's supposed to be done, I guess. Jesus did it right. Jesus did it perfect. Jesus, Jesus knew how to go without food well. But he was the perfect faster, not just because he knew how to go without food, but he knew how to eat the right food. And what I mean by that is, Jesus says in John chapter 4, my meat and my drink is to do the will of God. What I really feed on, Jesus says, is obeying my Father. What I really feed on is doing the will of God. That's why sometimes I can go without food, because I'm satisfied in doing the will of God. That's what satisfies me. Jesus is the perfect faster, because he knew how to go without food for the sake of worship and prayer, but he also knew how to eat the right food, the will of God. And aren't you glad that we have a Savior like that? Because his fasting, this is the gospel, folks. You look in the mirror, you see bad faster. You look in the mirror and you say, I haven't gone without food often enough. I haven't, I haven't hungered enough for other things more than food. Food always seems to win the day. I'm a bad faster. And you look in the mirror and you say, not only am I a bad faster when it comes to saying no to food, I'm not eating the right food either. I'm not eating God's will as meat and drink for my soul. But Jesus has done that for your sake and for mine. This is what we mean when we speak of the righteousness of Christ that's imputed or given to us. When you came to faith in Christ, Christian brother, sister, when you came to faith in Christ, Christ's righteousness, his perf- including his perfect fasting, was counted as yours. In God's record books, he took Jesus' perfect fasting, put it in your account column, and said, now that belongs to you. You don't have to get it perfect. Somebody's already gotten it perfect for you. You don't have to fast in order to become righteous. You're already considered righteous because of the one who did it all perfectly for you. That's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, including perfect fasting, so that his righteousness could be counted as ours. We could be accepted in God's sight as having never sinned, as having always been righteous because of him. And so we fast, not in order to earn anything, not in order to merit anything, not in order to get God to be impressed with us. We fast simply because we believe the promises of God that he will reward us. And because down deep, there are some things we hunger for 
even more than food. That his name would be hallowed. That his kingdom would come. That his will would be done. That daily bread and health and healing would come to us. That sins would be forgiven. That temptation would be overcome. That the evil one would be banished. These are the things we long for more than food itself. And so, by the authority of God's word, the freedom and the blessing of God's word, we call you to fast. However God applies that in your life, may he give you grace to enjoy it because there's a feast awaiting for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for promising us promising us that when we hunger for you, you will satisfy us. And when we hunger for things even more than we hunger for food, you will reward us and you will bless us. Father, as we look ahead to our September fast and as we look ahead to our lamenting and weeping and praying in behalf of brothers and sisters oppressed, disadvantaged, unfairly treated. Oh, Lord, would you please grant us your blessing. Feed us, oh, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our September fast, in part, is going to be a season of lament, a season of sorrow. Uh, because there are tears to be wept. There are tears being wept by brothers and sisters in Christ right here. And in order to begin to prepare our hearts for that, we're going to sing a psalm of lament as we close our worship today. Uh, it's been put to the music of um, O oh, oh Sacred Head Now Wounded. Uh, encourage you to join us in singing and then I'll close us in 